Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 22 of the Coach's Journey podcast. Robbie here. Um, and in this episode, I'm interviewing the amazing Allegra Stein. Now, described as a breath of fresh air in the coaching industry, Allegra is a self-styled coaching misfit with a background in wildlife biology and a career that included, among many other really interesting things, two years as a fishing conservationist in Bulgaria. Her coaching community, Misfit to Maverick, challenges what she calls the coaching industrial complex uh, and offers an alternative path to success that is built around authenticity and self-knowledge and being you. She draws on her background as an educator and a teacher and an ecologist um, to illuminate the idea of a niche for coaches, using her knowledge of what a niche is in biology, in, in ecology, and what it means for a bird to have its own niche. And that is as a supportive and nourishing environment and a habitat in which individuals can flourish. And who you are, as Allegra says, is as much a part of your niche as who you want to help and how you do, do your work. We get into loads of really interesting uh, things in this conversation, including how the language of the kind of world of coaching often holds us back, uh, why focusing on your strengths as a coach um, is advisable instead of getting bogged down in building a businesses. We have an amazing wide-ranging conversation. One of the themes of the conversation is picking out the tiny practices, the tiny things that make up the big picture, which ends with create a paying client. And we talk about why there's no um, ideal combination of strengths to be an effective coach. We, we, we uh, get to talk about Clifton strengths loads, which we both love. Uh, we really slow down on some things when we talk about how Allegra created different little, you know, little intricate practices or events in her coaching practice that, that led to clients or led to it growing or led to her learning new things. She has an amazing bakery metaphor, uh, which again shows up a few times in this, which is a great way to think about about a coaching business. Um, and uh, we also get have a, a really nice frank conversation about numbers and the size of our businesses and money and about how we uh, each have have understood that for and what it means for us and and, and built our business in that way. Um, yeah, like I said, I really love this conversation. Uh, it felt like having a conversation with a real kindred spirit. Allegra does her work with coaches for a lot of the same reasons that I do this work, run this podcast and, and, and do my work in the Coaches Journey community with coaches. Um, so I've got a feeling that if you love the work that I do, um, you're going to love this conversation between me and the awesome Allegra Stein. Allegra Stein, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, we've, we've had it in the diary for a little while. And um, yeah, for listeners, I, I'll, I'll say this because um, it'll probably come out in a few months. We're, we're in the start of November, just in case we get any time time um, time sensitive stuff that we talk about. But it, like I first became aware of you when we were both doing the marketing seminar yeah. Uh, Seth got his marketing seminar together. It was almost two years ago, which I was thinking when we were just did this, which which is amazing because I've still got basically got on my list of things to do to use all the learning I got from the ah. marketing seminar. Like no that's kidding. my part of my plan for 2021. True story. Um, yeah. But I, if yeah, and then we reconnected again more recently, and it's really great to have you on the show, particularly because since the marketing seminar, it looks like you've really focused your work on coaching. I have. Yeah. I, I, when I was in the marketing seminar, I was working, I had a different 
project that I was working on in my coaching practice. And since then it's evolved as it always does. And now it's a different project that I'm focusing on. I actually thought about signing back up for the next round of the marketing seminar, but decided to defer and instead picked up this is marketing and kind of read through that and gleaned some nuggets and reminded myself of things. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I've got all my, all my take, all my kind of notes from that course saved and there. And I, again, like you, like I pick up the book sometimes, especially so usually actually when I'm kind of something from it comes up with a client and I yep. want to kind of share that idea in a crisp way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but Allegra, let's like rewind a little bit because okay. so that people, everyone can get to know you. And to start, when was the first time you came across the idea of of coaching as as we're talking about it now? Well, so a little bit, of, can I share just a little bit of backstory before Please the do. coaching moment? Yeah, so yeah, I love it. So I had my, um, and I think it'll just give context for where our conversation goes, but my like educational background is in wildlife biology. Um, My major was in wildlife, fish and conservation biology. I went to UC Davis. So, and then in the years following undergrad, I was very involved in just like field work and ecology and being outdoors. Um, I eventually ended up joining the Peace Corps uh, to do projects and kind of environmental work. I lived in Bulgaria for a couple of years and worked with one of their nature parks. And then from that, I decided to become a teacher. I had taken a a required class at college around education. It was just, I needed a new, another class to graduate. And I was captivated by the art of teaching. I'd never thought about that before taking this class on education. So my brain was kind of primed for this, you know, someone floated, they're like, Oh, if you're wondering what to do next, you should, you know, think about joining teach for America, which is another program that supports you know, much like Peace Corps that supports individuals who want to pursue a craft. So I joined Teach for America. I moved to New York and I started teaching in the Bronx. And then I went on to teach for three more years at a high school outside of the city. Um, And in the meantime, I met my now husband and we had gotten married and we're starting to, um, we were going to grow our family and I got pregnant and I was like, okay, I'm going to retire from teaching to focus on being a mom. And fast forward a couple years, I had my daughter and then I had my son. And in that year after my son was born, I started to think about, well, so what am I going to do next professionally? You know, what, what, what's my next path going to be? I thought about becoming a tutor. I threw, I knew I wasn't going to go back to teaching. I wasn't interested in kind of diving back into the, uh, the administrative side of being an educator. I was like, maybe I'll be a tutor. So I got my first kind of taste of putting myself out there as a freelancer. I guess I had started an Etsy shop. <laughs> I was pregnant. I was like, I'm going to sew little pouches with zippers and people just would buy that. Like it was kind of I, looking at it now, it was kind of my first experience of working for myself. Anyway, one of my dear friends at the time, I was talking to her and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Instead of doing tutoring on a specific topic, I discovered academic coaching, which was more around the experience of being a student, less 
top, you know, um, content focused, more organizational, how to succeed as a student, depending on your learning style. Anyway, a friend said, you're a great person to talk to. You should become like a counselor, a therapist. I said, that's a really interesting idea. So I started to look into programs around therapy and maybe getting, uh, becoming an MFT and, but I had a very young child at the time and there were no programs locally. It was just difficult for me for various reasons to like leave the house at scheduled times for various classes. So I was like, I don't think the time is right for me to go back to school and get a degree. But along the way, I, um, I learned about coaching and I was like, what is this? <laughs> and do you remember where you first came across it or, or like um, what, the, what that introduction no, was? It, no, it may have been, you know, maybe I was Googling through, you know, therapist, counseling. Maybe I saw the word coaching. I was like, oh, what is this? I think, I, I think maybe one of my first introductions was Martha Beck. You know, I, so I was reading some Martha Beck books. Um, and I was like, well, maybe I'll get my coaching certification through Martha Beck kind of reading about that. I discovered some other coaches and then the mentor who I ended up working with is, uh, her name is Brooke Castillo. She runs a program now called the life coach school. And one of her first things, she'd written a book called self-coaching 101. And I got my hands on that and was like, it just really, it clicked very, her, that particular framework that she teaches I got it. Like I read it and I got it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I want to, I just want to understand that framework more. And so I ended up signing up for the life coach school coaching certification program. And it was a big deal. Cause I was like, you know, I, I, up until then I had been kind of changing careers, so to speak, kind of every couple of years, you know, I had spent a couple years in wildlife biology, and then I was a couple years in the Peace Corps, and then I was a couple years in the Bronx, and then three years teaching high school, and now I had was a couple years out from having kids, and I had this identity around uh, changing, you know, like I shift, and I like doing different things, and adventure is one of my top values, and so I, uh, I was a little nervous. I was like, oh man, I'm going to commit to this kind of course of study and I'm investing in a certification. Does this mean I'm a coach forever? But what if I don't like it? Anyway, I spoke to a couple of people. I called some people who'd been through that particular certification, just some coaches. And I, I don't remember who it was. Maybe a woman named Tori. I'm not sure. But I remember talking to her and kind of telling her this story a little bit, like what I've been doing. And she goes, oh, she's like, coaching is actually a perfect next step for you. She's like, what you are describing, like, is a very, is a really, is the dot. She's like, I see how the dots all connect with what you've been doing and how you've been spending your time and working with people and your values. And she's like, this is a, a, a feels like a very aligned step for you. And it was just what I needed to hear, I guess, you know, I think I wanted to hear that. So I did. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I signed up for that certification. It was very, you know, life coach school now has become a big program, but back then it was, yeah. when, when is know, this roughly 2012, right? Yeah. February, March, spring of 2012. And, um, 
it was just me and like nine other people in my cohort. I, so there were 10 of us. It was very high touch. Brooke herself was our mentor. We met, it was telecalls, you know, there was no zoom. It was yeah. all just on the phone. We had our big workbook. And after, you know, the, the course of the program, forget exactly how long it was, but you completed it. And it was like, okay, here's your certification. You are certified through the life coach school as a coach. And then like, I think every coach at that moment is like, okay, you just, I was thinking about it this morning. It's like, you just wake up and okay, I, I now have this thing. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> now what? Now what? Anyway, I could, we could keep dive into that, but that's kind of what, how things got started. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great it's a great question. Uh, one of the other guests on the podcast, actually, a Costa Rican coach, is yeah. writing a book in uh, um, about coaching called uh, "Yo Soy Coach y Ahora Que." Yeah. So it's like yeah. the same thing. It's like, what what the hell do I do now? Um, and it's it's now? a really important question. Um, and so, what did you do? Well, so I can tell this kind of next part either through the lens of looking back or from where I was in that moment. I'll just start from where I was in that moment. Mm. So in that moment, I was like, what do I do now? And I was, so of course I kind of went online and immediately heard about an online business building program called B-School, which a lot of people have gone through. And thought, well, that's what I do. I mean, that's what I do next. I'm a coach now. So now I have to build a coaching practice. And the way to do that is to create an online business. Like, it's crazy to me. Like, I have, so I have, I have now thoughts about what that experience was, but that's where I was. It's like, okay, like I, if I build an online business, then I can be a coach. I just thought that was, that was what I heard. That was the kind of now, as I see it, it's like, that's the fog bank that rolled in, in that moment for me. Like, Oh, this is what I do to be a coach. I need to now learn how to build an online business. Yeah. And in your certification, there hadn't been any part of it or bit alongside it or anything that supported people with what to do next. I don't remember that. No. Not like it is now, not only in that particular program. So that particular program now, it's still a thriving certification program, but there's a lot more um, business structure built around it if you want that. I think it's the same for a lot of other certification programs where you don't just learn the tool, but then you're told like, and here's how you build a coaching business. I think it's more common than not to find that addendum on it, which... I kind of have a little bit of an issue with now because I think it uh, tarnishes the, 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 just the joy of having a new skill and just being like, great, you've got a new skill now. Let's just be about that. I shouldn't say tarnishes because I know it's an important question that a lot of new coaches ask is, okay, so what do I do with it now? And so I completely understand creating an arm of a certification program that says, well, here's what you do next. Here's how you build a business. Um, but I find that those two things have gotten so intertwined that the the message is now, if you want to be a coach, you have to build a business. Oh, interesting, it, yeah. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah. So there's an important, there's, there's distinctions and, and there's, you can choose which 
a combination of those two things you want to do. And there's, I don't know how many, is there three combinations or four combinations? You could do both, right. you could do neither, you could do one and or the other. Um, and all of those would be valid choices. And I think it's the same over in the UK in terms of the certification programs. They do mostly now seem to have something alongside them, something, do yeah. different things in different levels with different people. You know, and I think, well, you know, we'll get to this later on. You know, that clearly doesn't, well, clearly, because of your business and my business, that doesn't mean that every coach is sorted forever, whatever they're offering. And there, there are some reasons for that um, in terms of the way that's still done, I think. But um, so tell, tell me, like, what happened? You, you, you went on you went on B-School and you learned some I stuff about B-School. how to do an online business. And then, heard- like, what, what were the things then that you tried as you, as you were well, asking yourself now what? Step one was pick a niche. Yeah. 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 I was saying just before um, we jumped on Allegra um, and uh, for listeners that I crowdsourced some questions um, before I started this podcast a year and a bit ago. And um, the the kind of most common question, like, which was just extraordinary to me because a bunch of the people were people who did the same training as me and, uh, you know, were trained with the same, I trained with like a, a little startup, um, essentially, yeah. which is now resting in, in the coaching world, uh, according to the founders. Um, and it's a, it's a shame about that because they actually had, they were man, they were trying to solve in a in a kind of wholesome way this problem that we're talking about, and I think they mostly succeeded. But the the kind of energy required to run yeah, a, a coach training organization was too much when they wanted to do other things. But the, anyway, the most common question I got was about what's people, what is their niche, and how did they decide yeah. it? Which is absolutely fascinating. Um, and so that's what you did. So you picked a niche. Uh, let's let's I want to hear what the niche is and then let's talk niches well the, what the niche was yeah at the time well so just so to I had to pick a niche and then you have to build a website and then I had to get the email list set up and then set up like that's what the training was uh, and then the, the, and then, and then get some people on the list somehow with some know, free thing and, I, I yeah. get that like okay I see now well I can talk about how I see it now but that's what it was then it was yeah. I got into the space, like, oh, I want to coach. So I, ha- in order to coach, I have to pick a niche. Okay. And then, oh, and then I got to have a website and then I have to make sure I have branding and business cards and the email list and like all the things that I thought I needed to do and do well. And that if I just did well at those on the other side of all that, then I could coach. Okay. So I was like, all right, I got to pick a niche. So I was going to do relocation coaching, which I still have a very soft spot for. I actually own the URL, therelocationcoach.com, because I, which I can't believe was available, but <laughs> because I had, at that time, I was defined by many experiences moving. Mm-hmm. I had moved, relocated to Bulgaria by myself for two years. I had then moved back to LA and then relocated to New York by myself So I had this life experience in relocation. I had a perspective on it. And I was like, I want to coach. I didn't see a lot of it. I think that's maybe that was happening too. I didn't see a lot of people talking about that journey that someone was on. So I was like, I'm going to coach around relocation. So I don't, so in B school, one of the, beautiful things that came out of B-School were some relationships that I still have with people who I met in that program, who were also very new online business owners trying to find their way. 
And I think through the course of my explorations there, I'm trying to figure out, you know, I try to remember how I got my, like my, where my first paying client came from. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that I had been invited onto a podcast that a woman was starting and I was talking about my perspective on relocation and some of my tools. I'm pretty sure I had a website set up by then and a contact page. And someone heard that podcast and reached out to me who was thinking about leaving their job to move across the Atlantic to be with her partner and wanted some help talking through that. We are still very close today. She's like a treasured person in my, in my Mm -hmm. story. And I'm pretty sure she was the first person to whom I said, great. It's three sessions for $99. I'm pretty convinced that was my first paying yeah. like deal. So the, f- the funny thing is you actually like kind of did create that first client by doing the online marketing it's stuff, true. right? You, you yeah. went on a podcast, did, yeah. did something that yeah. pushed someone to a website, which meant that they contacted you, which meant that they became a client. And then exactly. yeah. $99 I mean, in the bank. And it's, so that was like the first, and then I, I was just pretty much a go. Like I just was like, well, maybe I can write an article for a, a publication about relocation. Um, so there are some articles out there that I wrote. Someone reached out to interview me. I really try and it's helpful for me to, with you to like really, really slow mm. down and connect the dots because when I work with coaches now, I hear a lot of like, how do I attract people to me? Like as if, we don't have agency in creating the, the, the moment of someone saying yes. Right. As if, as if there isn't something we did to make that happen. And the first person who paid me, I could just be like, I don't know where she came from, but she came out of my, you know, it was like a resulting consequence of decisions I had made and things that I had chosen to do or not do. Um, and I think that's really important to just take ownership of when things are created in our coaching practice to not be like, I don't know how that happened. Yeah. It's like, right. Well, that's completely, <laughs> let's find out because it's not like you just sat there eating bonbons and money pinged in your PayPal and your phone <laughs> yeah. rang. Like, you did something. And so it's, it's really cool to kind of really try and dig into those moments of decision-making and action-taking that, that, you know, that, that did lead in reflection to that moment of a person saying yes and deciding to pay you for your work. Yeah. And, you know, we know some of those for you, for this person, because you, ha- you built a website and you put it online. You said yes to the podcast which, you know, may, I don't know at the time, may have been exciting, may have been like, what the hell's a podcast? It's 2012. I don't know what that is. You know, it might have, but it might have been scary as well. And and so it's like those, those acts of courage and those, those acts, like you say, like actually things that you did that, that opened that up. Did you remember who the second paying client was and where they I came don't. from? No, but what, no. what was, how did that, so how did the business go in that early phase? I'm I'm like, who was my second client? Um, How it might have been Lindsay. Lindsay may have been my second client. Um, How did it go in that phase? 
it was so here's what I remember of it. I'm not a great record keeper. Admittedly, I'm not a stellar. Re- it is not an energizing skill for me. It is not in, it's not a natural strength of mine to remain like fastidious about records and organization. So I preface all of this with kind of, you know, um, with that awareness. What I remember at the time is that I was creating clients, I'm sure. I, but I was very consumed with what I now call everything but coaching. I was very consumed with the marketing side of things. I was very consumed with how to build my website, with how to market, how to do things, Facebook ads and photos and branding. Like, And I, I have a, a memory of just being like, man, I signed up to coach, but maybe 20% of my time is actually in conversation with people. And 80% of my time is like trying to figure out how to build a business. And I had signed up, I think, for a couple of other programs, thinking, oh, just maybe this business personal help, maybe that. And I remember thinking, I, I do have a distinct memory of standing in my bathroom one morning and just saying, I just want to coach. <laughs> I think we all have those moments. <laughs> it's like, I just want to be coaching. What? What's happening that I'm just sitting here? I just want to coach. So this was maybe in 2013. I don't know when Prosperous Coach came out. I think you probably hear this from a lot of coaches that reading Prosperous Coach flipped a switch for me, Hmm. primarily because it showed me that there was a different way to approach the, the, the practice. There was a different way to approach the idea of like, how do I create a client? Um, And I have since learned that my top strength, my driving strength is relator which mean, which is a relationship strength. I really enjoy getting to know people one-on-one. I really like building relationships and I'm very curious to know about people. And I can, so I say that now because I understand why Prosperous Coach was so resonant with me is because it was essentially, you know, you can be coaching in a way that's based on building relationships with people very directly, essentially through conversations. And it just like blew my mind. I was like, oh, there's this other way to look at my work and how I connect with people. So that kind of, I guess that started maybe, maybe that would be chapter two. Chapter one was I'm brand new. What do I do? I'm going to sign up for this online business program. I'm going to try things. I'm going to pick a niche. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to charge, you know, whatever it was, three for 99. I don't remember what evolved out of that. Maybe I then went to like an eight week thought program, you know, using my coaching materials. And and then chapter two started when I read that book and And, was like. And and in chapter one, though, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like there were clients there. So there was what you were doing was working in some ways. They were. But I also have to remember that I had a very young child, very young children at the time. I, my, I had a baby less than a year old, probably he was, well, he was, I got certified in 2012. He was born in 2011. So he was under a year old when I started. 
And he wasn't going to be going off to any kind of like preschool or kindergarten for another couple of years. So I have to couch my story in that variable as well, that my life, I wasn't working on it full time. I was, I was trying to fit in what I could within the bigger priority of my life then, which was raising my kid and keeping my, you know, two kids. I mean, he was one, she was three. It was, it was a busy time. Um, so I was creating clients, but certainly not, again, I don't even remember uh, the clear financial picture at the time, you know, but I, yeah, I mean, I think there were people coming in who I would, you know, they would reach out. Maybe they would hear me or read about things. Maybe I'd post, if I was doing relocation, they'd be like, I'm moving. Oh yeah. And then I met like Kelsey stands out as someone who was another client from that time who was relocating. And, you know, I think maybe at that point I was doing, I think I tried raising my prices a little bit and it was, was it 200 for a couple of sessions, maybe it was 200 a month, 250 a month. Like I was just kind of, I was playing and just trying to like fit, but then a majority of my time thinking about things that weren't related to coaching, just like this void of, <laughs> I call it like the black hole of everything but coaching as if I could just figure all that stuff out, then I would, then I don't know what I thought would happen. People would just start calling me and I would well, just spend uh, all day just coaching and getting yeah. paid. For it. But what you said before is, and then I then I can coach. It's almost yeah. like actually, you feel like I've got to. If I don't have all this stuff in place, then there's no like it. It, it doesn't work. Like doesn't I work. can't do it. And it was a very loud narrative, and I yeah. think it's only gotten louder. That that is that that is that, and we can talk about this later. But just even the label of being a coach is so weighted and distorted and what coaching is. And it, it just stops people in their tracks. You know, I'm seeing a lot of really smart stuff come out around like, don't call yourself a coach. Like don't call it coaching because something even about that now, I think takes people out of what they're really doing, which is being of service to another person and giving that person space to just be themselves and see what happens. And then being like, but I'm, but I have to tell people I'm a coach now. And how am I going to get coaching clients? And I, I've become a stickler for language in the coaching industry mm. that I just find handcuffs people. Yeah, It's just handcuffing these new vibrant, really amazing people who learned a new tool through their certification. And now it's just like, they're just, the narrative is so loud around what one has to do and what it looks like. And that that's kind of what I'm, 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 um, I, I'm very driven around that now because I was in it. Yeah. Because I was I was in that for a very long time. Um, and and I, I think that that's one of the things that that book, actually, The Prosperous Coach, one of the like reasons it's been so successful is because it, it, it does for a lot of people what it sounds like it did for you. And it certainly did for me. It's like, there's another way. There's I can choose way. how I do this. And all that stuff that I think is speech marks true about... Right coaching whatever yeah. we mean by that oh actually i could just look at that all from this different this different way and for exactly. a lot of people not everyone but a lot of people that other way of looking is a lot preferable to where we start from especially if you have a lot of relating strengths and my driving strength is a relating strength 
And it's probably worth saying that it must be, I mean, you all know this better than me, right? But it must be true that for most people who want to be coaches, a lot of people who want to be coaches will do that because they want, they love having conversations with people. And a lot of people who love having conversations with people will have, if it's not related, will have other strengths amongst their top few that are about people. And that's why they get into it. Not everyone, but a lot of people. It's really fascinating. So without getting too far into the present moment, but I work with a lot of coaches now. And one of the first things we do is we do, we, they, they find out their strengths and then we really sit with, we're like, okay, what are, what are these natural talents that you have and how can that inform who you are as a coach and the clients you want to work with and how you want to evolve your practice. And it's really interesting to find and work with coaches who let's say lead with a lot of thinking strengths Mm. and playing with and trying to dismantle that there is some ideal strengths combination f- to be an effective coach. It's really, cause I'll see a lot of comparisonitis. We'll be like, Oh man, oh, yeah. well, they have all the good coaching strengths. Well, cause I, I, well I know that. Um, so I know that uh, Relator, I think is one of them. I know that I saw on one of your videos that you talk about Clifton strengths and you use that I, I for the first time. So I did it when I was doing my coach training the first time, just got the top five. And then yeah. a couple of years ago, me and my friend Nicole were delivering a workshop on Strengths Finder um, or Clifton Strengths to a to a, a team. And I thought I'd do the full, get my full whack, the full 34, right? And what was great was that empathy for me was down at like number 30, something uh-huh. like that. And it's what? like, you know, I can imagine if I did that at the start, I'd be like, shit, I'm gonna have to give this whole thing up. If I like if I can't be if I can't be empathic, then like, what is the point in doing this coaching thing? And of course, what I now know of, you know, and I, we, you know, again, we can talk about textures of strengths and how they play out oh, and how different things show up. But like, it, I can really imagine that if you're a new coach and you're seeing the strengths and then someone else has got whatever ones you think are the, the right, the speech marks, the right ones for some, for a coach to have. It's like, oh well, yeah, I totally get it. Well, and that's why I like, that's why when I start working with a new coach, I'm so excited to do that exercise with them because those strengths are showing up whether we, the thing about strengths, as I've discovered is we do them naturally. Like the ones that are at the top, we don't even realize our strengths because they just come so naturally to us. We just don't even realize that they're there. And so when you do something like Gallup Strengths Finder or whatever, and, and you see it, you're right. Like there are some times where there's a moment of like, no, I don't want that to be it. I don't want that. I don't, oh man, I wish I had all those relating strengths and then I'd be a good coach. Well, we can either accept it or not accept it. It's still going to be like the cream that rises to the top. And what if instead, and this is where I love playing and ideating is like, what if instead of resisting that, we instead got really creative around how those actual strengths are your greatest asset as a coach and that your dream clients want those gifts. And if they don't want them, they are not your dream client. I love that. I just love holding that. Even if someone can't see it at first, just be like, yeah, you are a deep thinker, right? You, you, and that's an asset. There's someone out there who needs exactly what you're going to bring into that partnership and why not why not maximize those things from the beginning <laughs> like yeah. i could talk more about my insights around strengths that comes a little bit later in the story but uh <laughs> it was incredibly liberating for me for other reasons in the coaching journey because it, despite 
So Prosperous Coach was like a big game changer for me, but it did not take away the reality that there are still skills to master even within that model. (laughs) And I think that's a really important piece of the puzzle too for coaches is the idea that that creating a paying client is somehow like a small win. You know, I put that to my community the other day. I'm like, what would be a small win for you? And someone was like, creating my next paying client. And I said, oh, that's that's the the win. Like that's as coaches who want to be self-employed, you know, freelancers, creating a paying client is actually like, that's the top of the mountain that's the right if that's your small win then you're you're, like like how do you how do you keep yourself going basically is what I think then because it's like if the only time I get to win is Is, when is when I I get a new paying client like what do I what do I how do I feel the rest of the time that and the idea that that's a small thing that that isn't somehow I like thinking about those stereogram pictures with lots of dots you know I don't know if it's stereogram but like dot pictures where when you're zooming out You see like create paying client, but as you get closer and closer and closer, you realize that that moment is the result of a willingness to practice lots of little things that take time and nuance. And um, I just, I just, I was so, it was so interesting for me to see that in myself when someone said that was a small win. Mm. I'm like, and I love your perspective on it too. Like, well, if that's the win, then what about all the other things that there are to do? And, um, and so let's let's go there now, just because it's too good a question. I've got to ask the question, right? People will be listening. I want to know. T- tell us, like, in your view, from what you've seen of your own business and working with other coaches, what are the most important dots that make up create a paying client? My gosh. I mean, I think it's, I I posed this to some people. I'm like, what is the very first thing to practice? And I really, I have to give credit. I am seeing now, I know you interviewed Toku McCree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I have to credit him. I was just thinking of him him actually as you you were thinking that. Planting the seeds of like what I'm only now. And I've known, Toku and I have talked a couple of times. I didn't do his dojo, but I've always admired his work and his perspective on it. And we had conversations. It's been a while. But um, I don't think I saw then what I see now about what he's talking about <laughs> mm, around admit- like practice around really zooming in on what exactly the finer points are and focusing on those things. And I believe that's what he does in his dojo. Like he's been, and I'm seeing it's, it's like, I listened to the interview you did with him and a lot of it stuck with me. And, and even now that I'm, I'm working in support of coaches, things are starting to connect for me that I'm like, Oh, I can see now. So when I think like, well, what is the very, one is, what is one of the very first things to practice? And in some cases it's simply telling people what we do. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds so, what do you mean? Just there is some resistance out there. Huge resistance for a lot of people. On Tuesday, you get the email that you got your coach certification. On Wednesday morning, you wake up going, now what? And I would suggest like, well, what if you told some people about that? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good one. What comes up for people? But I, what are they going to think? They're going to judge, right? It's And so that is a very tiny first step. And yet there is work there. Now, if someone was like, I have no problem telling people. I have no problem telling people. Great. 
what would be the very next thing? Are, when I, I liked, I think I move from telling people, I think the invitation is very close to the beginning of, you know, as a very important dot is how comfortable are you asking somebody if they would like to talk to you about anything? Just would you like to talk or would you like some help? Those two, I think would you would like some help maybe follows from the, would you like to talk or can I, can I tell you about this thing I learned? And this is where this whole idea of coaching and the word coach, I think kind of throws people off because when you get a coaching certification, I kind of think that you're just given another tool. You're given a tool to help a person, like to help people. But before the certification, you also had tools. Before I was certified as a coach, I had the tool of a teacher, which I think is a, I love that tool. I had um, the tool of coming up with good ideas. My, uh, one of my top strengths happens to be ideation, which I wish I had known at the beginning. Right? It's like, <laughs> I can come up with ideas all the time. I love them. Right. I'm an activator. I can get things started. Right. I had these tools before I had the tool of getting my coaching certification, but there's something about that moment that I think blinds people to all the stuff that they were doing before that moment. Why do you think that is? I, again, I think it's part of the, 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 this narrative of the industry of what coaching is and that somehow on Wednesday morning, when you have a certification, all you can say now is I'm a coach and it, it gets stuck in people's throats because, because you haven't, one of my favorite metaphors is like a baker decides they want to become a baker. They can cook. They cook great, but they're like, I want to become a baker. And they go to baking school and they get their certificate. They've learned some recipes. They wake up the next morning. Maybe they're not comfortable quite saying like, I'm a baker. They might just be like, well, I just finished baking school and I'm going to go bake some cookies and try and figure out what I'm doing. But there's this urgency and pressure again, fueled by, I call it the coaching industrial complex, that something happens between the email that you got your certification and the next day where it's like, we've forgotten all our other gifts, that everything we do now is about hanging our, is on this hook of like, I am a coach and that's all I can do. And man, I sure would love it if new coaches, maybe instead of emailing their friends or people and saying, I'm a coach now saying, I've learned a new tool. Yeah, there was a super cool um, like invitation that you had in there for, or, yeah. or thing for people to use, which was from the baking baker analogy, which yeah. is I've just finished baking school and I'm here to practice baking. That's so you just, you just change the word baking for coaching and any coach who's listening can, can get into a load of coaching conversations off the back of that. You just need to say that to 10 people and, and away you go, right? Uh-huh. And if you're resistant to even the word I'm coaching, because you're worried, what are people going to think? Because, you know, what do they think about all the, all of that mess? It can be as simple as like, oh, I just, I just learned a new tool I'm really excited about. Like, can I tell you about, like, it would be really helpful for me just to have, to just be able to describe it in my own words. Are you willing to like spend 20 minutes with me? Yeah. Just to, that is a practice. Do that 10 times and like, 
then you're going to be like, okay, yeah, now, now it's really come. Now it's just rolling off the tongue of like this tool I've learned and oh yeah. And it's, there's like a zooming in and I, you know, I hear Steve Chandler in my head around the slowing down piece. Like it's really interesting for me how all these things that I heard and learned along the way only now make sense in my eighth, ninth year of doing this work. And that too is another thing I'm trying to just hold and present is there is a, there is a patience and a, a willingness to play and explore and try new things that I don't think is encouraged enough because of this idea that it's somehow some linear, (laughs) just follow these 10 steps and you'll make a hundred K in three months. And it's like, Oh yeah. I think you're right. There is really something about that that I think is, again, it's something that's good about those, those people you're mentioning, those teachers who, who, who talk about slowing down, who talk about long games, because there's this sense that we have to, that we finish the thing and then it'll be easy, right? Coaching is not an easy business to run. It, it doesn't have to be hard in the way that we did it, but certainly, you know, w- what success I've had, which is not enormous in by any stretch, right. came at the cost of like a lot of courage above all, a lot of doing stuff that I was fucking scared of. Do you know what I mean? And so I think that there's this, like I, I was working with some coaches and I explained that one year when I was, I think the first year I was enrolling for my group, I, I ran, I've run a group coaching program for coaches a few times. And the first year I was enrolling for that, there was one week where I sent out 40 inv- written invitations to people to come yeah. to trial calls for it. Like their kind of jaws dropped at this because they felt like they, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I mean, I sat down and I did work <laughs> because that's what it takes. It was what it takes me. Like there may be people out there for whom this is super easy. But for me, it's taken time and practice and learning and humility and failure. So much. Um, <laughs> well, and I think one of the other lessons that Prosperous Coach taught me, and again, credit to every coach and teacher who I've been connected to and learned from through that community, like um, it's a vast tapestry, but like uh, is... I think there's a lot of safety in the online model that keeps us out of those moments really. And it, it sounds a little bit simple, but like of hearing someone say no to us, an actual human on the other side of an email. That's another or, dot, right? In, in creator paying client is hearing some no's. Yes. Which, right. I think, but it's like really hearing no from an actual human there's an avoidance of that to the nth degree I see of like, here's an example. I'll see a lot of new coaches saying, please tell me how to. So one of the common marketing models, and I have to, I have to be clear. I don't have any beef with online marketing business models or business strategy. Like I think there's some very powerful stuff out there that works for certain people where I, where I really have an issue is when it's presented as the, as the, as the proven system for everybody. Yeah. But I think it's, you're catching something important, right? Which is something that Seth Godin is is good at, which is that we, it's important that the coaching people who do coaching don't swap obsession with that online marketing model for like total allergy to that online marketing model. Cause there's, there are tools that can be super useful about all that stuff. A bazillion percent. What I think I'm starting to see where my point of view has been shaping is I think the order is mixed up. 
Yeah. I love, I'm, I, I am a student. I'm, a, I'm self-employed. I am a student of Seth Godin and Tad Hargrave and marketing principles. And I am, I use digital tools to build my community and get my, shine my light. And I, I think those things are having an understanding of all those things are game changers. What my, where I, in the coaching industry in particular, I just believe that that is presented far too early. And with this underlying message that to coach, you have to figure that stuff out. I would rather, so continuing the bakery metaphor, I think it'll help. A baker gets their certification and they walk out of their baking school, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. Okay, now what? I think what happens in the coaching model is all of a sudden all these Ubers start pulling up taxis. Hey, hop in. We're going to help you build a bakery. Let's go. Don't you want to build a bakery? Oh, yeah. I, yes. And easy steps to build a bakery. And easy steps to build a bakery. Let's do it. It'll make you six figures in six It'll months. Six oh, okay. And so the baker gets it because... Because part of that baker signed up for the baking school because they had visions of building a bakery. They didn't want to have a hobby. They wanted to become like a baker for career. Okay. They come out of baking school. They're taken into an office. All right. So what do you want the bakery to look like? Let's pick some colors. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you want to serve in it? This is niche, right? What are you going to sell at your bakery? Um, um, I don't know. Uh, well, what I guess I could do cupcakes. I don't know. Okay, great. Cupcakes, what colors? What should we call it? Now make sure we get the branding photos. Now we got to market it because we're going to open the doors, right? And you're going to launch. And then when it opens, then you're going to be baking. Isn't that great? That is what happens to coaches all the time. Yeah. Innocently. And don't get me wrong. There are some coaches who thrive in that. But now I know why they thrive because I have a and we can talk about that, but like I have learned and some people thrive with those. Some For some people, that model is perfectly aligned to their strengths and their skills and their interests and their you know personality and their lifestyle. And that's what you see. You see the people who go into that and they are, they are making six figures in a year, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, it's possible. But I like talking to the coach who, or the baker who walks out and is like, I think I'm going to walk down the corner to the supermarket (laughs) and pick out a bunch of ingredients that I'm interested in and go home and just start baking. And I'm not going to build a bakery for which all of those tools in that boardroom are really helpful until I know exactly what I want to bake until I've done a lot of baking on my own and burned a lot of things and tried different ingredients and tasted it and had people test it until I really know who I am as a baker, what kind of cookie I like, what are my recipes that I can just be like, yeah, this is mine. Then that's when all of the marketing work, all of the business building stuff. um, I think it's just so much more, I don't know, just feel so much more fun because you can pick the tools that actually are aligned now with what you want to do because you've done it, not not the reverse. I hope that's making sense. It's absolutely making sense. Yeah, yeah, it it's absolutely is. And I, I guess 
it sounds like, you know, it's that key bit and like, you know, for some people that stuff is great because their strengths line up with it. It sounds like what you found in the Prosperous Coach was a different approach that aligned more with your strengths. So I, I want to get to what you're doing now because we're kind of edging around it and talking about it. But first, I just wonder what happened in those years with your practice? Who did you work with after? In, yeah, in chapter two, absolutely. So after reading Prosper's Coach, I let's see, I uh, I hired a coach who under, you know who was working within that model. I John Morgan, I worked with. He was great. Um, I was in one of his group programs. Um, I started to just like be in that community because I just wanted to be around it. Um, and I financially kind of got in this place. So this is where this other change happened where I was like, okay, I've been doing $250 a month. I'm like, but man, there are coaches out there who were, who were making thousands of dollars for each client. And like, what would that be like to do? And can I, you know, one of their big is like, it shifted to, for me, um, that it's not about my coaching. It's about the journey that the client wants to go on. There's that whole, I mean, talk about a, a very important part of the learning journey of a coach. It's th- having conversations with people, what a discovery call is, you know, that shift from like, it's not about my coaching. It's about what the journey they want to go on. Toku described it as like, it's an empty container. I love that where he was like, yeah, it's just an empty box. Let's see what we can put in it. I'm like, that's so such a apt metaphor for, but, but getting that and practicing that, I think that's a, such a dynamic, fun, creative time of coaching is really figuring out what it is that we do. <laughs> Not what we think coaches do, but what we do. Yeah. And you just can't know it till you're in it. It's like, you can't know how to bake a souffle until you've baked a lot of souffles. And then you're like, oh, this is what a, a souffle is. And that's, I think, where the craft comes in the craft, and I I describe it as the art of coaching, the craft of it. And it cannot be rushed. It can't. And I almost feel nervous when I say that sometimes, because I think a lot of coaches are looking for, understandably, everybody has different personal circumstances. I don't pretend to know what someone's financial situation is, their urgency around needing to replace an income or get like, and I, I just have this awareness of like, and it takes time. It's a craft. It's like, it's like every other art form. And yet somehow it's, it's, it's presented as like different than other art forms. Like that, yeah, you can figure it out in six months. It's like a, a surgeon isn't out there performing surgery after six months. Yeah. A surgeon doesn't get paid for their work until what, 10 years maybe after they decide to do it. An artist doesn't necessarily start making money until years of commitment and practice. And I think that's, um, again, credit to those who've been saying that for a long time. And I I've known it and I've seen it, but sometimes you don't see it till you're looking backwards and you're like, Oh, there's a reason why I'm in year eight. And some of this is just now becoming clear for me. Yeah. Anyway, so I was in that land of like having deep conversations. I had shifted to 90 minute, two hour discovery calls. I was making bigger proposals. 
I was shifting to like, I'm going to work with six months. I was just in that. I was very committed. Then like, I only work with people for six months. But I was also kind of like, but I kind of want to do a coach and dine event. <laughs> I kind of want to just like connect with a chef and find a place and host a dinner for 75 bucks. And um, I had started doing free workshops at a local cafe. Again, credit to my coach at the time, John Morgan, who was like, why don't you just start showing up every week and teaching a workshop? I was like, okay, push through some resistance there. And that alone, that experience transformed and continues to play out in how I share my work now. I love just doing free talks and free classes. And, and that little, that little insight that came from, from John or that, or that, that moment yeah. for you, like, yeah. I just think that kind of thing's really interesting because where did that, could you remember where that came from, you know, and how it came out? Because I think. It, Do I remember how it came out? So a little context, the, what it was, was a group coaching program. Um, and so we would meet every week for a couple hours. I don't know if that's still how he structures it, but a couple hours, we'd each get hot seats. And um, I don't exactly remember what I was struggling with. Maybe I was just, you know, because my teacher was starting to bust out. And this is a whole other vein we could go into is like, well, if you're a coach, you can't teach. That message of like what good coaching is. And that, you know, that, oh, I'm a coach now. I can't be a teacher, but I'm like, but I really love teaching. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it helps people when I do that. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I can't remember exactly what was happening in that moment that I was being coached other than maybe he put a challenge on the table. Maybe he's, I forget if it came from him or from me, but whatever it was, the idea blossomed to go to this local cafe that I really liked and pick a date and a time and just lead a free class. Because I think what happened after reading Prosperous Coach is I completely abandoned the idea of a niche. I just dropped into like, I just love this craft. I just want to talk about the tools that I love. I, I wasn't passionate about a particular who. I was just really passionate about what I was doing so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go to this cafe. And I had to ask the owner and I was a little scared of that. And I asked her and she said, sure, that'd be great. People, it'll bring people here. They'll buy coffee and donuts or whatever. And uh, yeah, I started to Wednesdays at 10 and they were at a cafe called Conscious Fork. And so I called my talks Conscious Talks. Nice. Because <laughs> I name things very literally. That's great. <laughs> But that's also a play on the name of the place. Like that's, that's yeah. two reasons a good name. Right. So I started doing conscious talks and my, that whole experience continues to be a source of like what I try and teach others because what I did, and this is something that I love to talk about is I picked a date Wednesday, a time 10 AM and a place conscious fork. And I told people I was going to be there. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to talk about every week. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have an outline. But what that did was it committed me to figuring it out before Wednesday at 10 a.m. 
I think a lot of time, now again, this is a reflection of my strength. So I have to, I can't put this out like, this is what everybody does. It just happened to be perfect for me because I'm an ideator and an activator. So I can, I can very easily be like, what can I talk about? Oh, I know what I'm going to talk about. And then I write out an outline and then I'm sitting there talking about it. Combined right, and you had, you had the teaching experience. It's teaching. like, it makes complete sense that it would work for you. But I think there is also stuff. There is something in here though, about giving yourself the deadline and the pressure. Yes. That, that, that does that. serve a lot of people. It's not just you. No. And I, and I, and I, and so I hold that as, as a tool, as if someone's like, oh, yeah, I really want to do a free class. I, and this actually came up with a client. She's like, I really want to do this. She had this really cool idea for geo coaching. And I was like, that sounds awesome. She's like, I know I should just do it. But she talked about it for a long time. And finally, I was like, you need a date, time, place. And now I've amended it. It's called date, time, place, and a yes. Now, I was just doing it date, time, place. I was, I, I was very comfortable with the possibility that no one might show up, that there might be a week that there would be no one there. That never happened. One week, one person showed up and I was like, lucky you, you get a coaching session for an hour. Right. One time, 12 people showed up. And that remains like one of the defining projects. I call them projects now um, that I undertook in my practice. And sorry, just just to check the the yes that you that you kind of give to clients oh, as a yeah. challenge now. Because that's to like do it, get the first yes. That's all you need. Yeah. Because if you're like, whoa, well, well, Jennifer's gonna come. I guess I have to go. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I was like, I'm gonna go whether or not someone shows up or not. But other people might be like, well, if no one's coming, then I don't have to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. If no one's coming, I don't have to do the Facebook Live. Right. <laughs> so for if you need that little extra like cherry on top of your commitment, invite someone, say, hey, I'm doing this free talk. Would you like to come? Both yes and no are perfect answers. And they're like, sure, I'll come. Then it's like, OK, 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 you know, yeah. I'm doing it. I have a free talk on this subject. I love free talks. I think free stuff, free talks, workshops, conversations is just one of the best way, best ways to be of service, to connect with new people. I created clients out of those talks because invariably someone would come and be like, oh, this is great. Do you do, can we, I need some help. And then that would evolve into a discovery call, which, you know, where I would be practicing my discovery call stuff. And then I'd make proposals and then they would invite a friend to the free talk. The nice thing about putting on complimentary stuff it's very easy for your people to invite someone new to that. Right. I, I call it like the free museum. This is definitely a Seth Godin thing. It's like, have a really cool free museum because if it's free, people have no problem inviting others. Like, Oh, they're doing this free thing. It's so much nicer than being like, the only thing you have someone to invite something to is something they have to pay for. Yeah. Anyway, so I, it was great. I would do those free talks and I was creating clients and longer partnerships and also doing these little ideas on the side. And I would do coaching hikes, which is invite people to come hiking with me. Um, And realizing that while that the ideas of the prosperous coach were very liberating, there was still a lot of practice to do, you know, there was still a lot of practice to be done. Um. Yeah, and I, I can I can share where that evolved to if you want, but I, I don't yeah, know. like let's let's like so so if that's chapter two, which was really embrace the prosperous coach, um, 
let go of the relocation coach and the niche and just coach who was there and, yeah. and get creative with help from people like uh, John Morgan and that amazing idea, way amazing way to connect with people, beautiful. What happens next? What was chapter three? Okay, so chapter three. Okay, so chap. So what I was doing was I was having these two-hour discovery calls with the goal. I was very committed to like I'm only working with people for six. Like that's how people can work with me now is six months over time. Like and having these multiple discovery calls, ninety minutes, two hours, and then I was like, I don't know how much of that converted. Not a lot hit or miss, you know, every couple months I'd create a new client. I never felt like I had a full practice. You know, I was like, someone's like, well, when is your practice flow? I'm like, I don't know. It hasn't happened. I guess I'll know when it happens. But, and I had this idea of, because people would have these two hour discovery calls with me and walk away transformed, right? Because how can someone not when they're given two hours of space to just talk and be themselves, right? And all the things. And I said, well, what if I turned that two-hour conversation into an offer? What if that became like the step before the step? And my ideator turned on and my activator and I created an offer called the whiteboard session. And because I love using whiteboards, there's one over there. <laughs> I was like, what if instead of only having a six-month $10,000 coaching partnership, whatever it was, it'd been 6,000 and I just, I've been playing with saying different numbers, right? What if it well is that I also had this smaller thing. And that's when I kind of started to feel a little more traction with things. So now I'm in year six, maybe. And I was like, I'm going to do these whiteboard sessions and they're going to be 750 bucks. And I'm going to do this and that. And that started to like catch because all through this time, I also had people who just kind of stayed in my orbit. My, I mean, my email list is like a choppy ocean. It's like sometimes I'd be like, I'm emailing now. And then I wouldn't email for months. And then I would always, but I had kind of these people who just kind of had been watching me, who'd been coming to my talks. So I could now kind of reach back out and say, hey, I've got this new cool thing. Anyway, so I thought whiteboard sessions were going to be the thing. And I was like, I need to, I got to pick a thing to just have a business around. It'll be whiteboard sessions. And then I started to notice that I would get really excited about an offer and like it would start to work. And then I'd want to do something else. And I would wake up in the mornings and be like, I have a new idea. Shoot, shoot. I have a new idea. I didn't know at the time that ideation was a strength, by the way. I just knew that I would wake up at like whiteboard sessions would be kind of working and getting great feedback. And I was raising the prices of people. And then I'd be like, oh, I kind of want to change this up. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, it, there was more to that. I, I don't have to get into all those things, but I guess that brings me to, to chapter four was I'm going to stop coaching. I mean, eventually it got to a point where I was like, I, I just can't figure this out. Even though it was kind of working, I was feeling stressed about it. And so I got to a point where I was like, I think I just need to get a job as a coach. I don't know if you've ever been there. Yeah. Yeah. Like it happens to me every year or so. Right? <laughs> I go like, I can't put up with this anymore. I just, I, sometimes I'm like last year, it's the first time for a while. I was like, well, no start of this year. I was like, maybe I just need to 
get get a job not as a coach. In fact, <laughs> in fact, is what I was thinking. Yeah, I was, I was, I, I knew I wanted a coach, but I was like, I don't want to do the business anymore. Yeah. Because I was tired of feeling like I couldn't figure it out. That was another thing going on in my brain that I still didn't feel like I'd figured it out. I use that phrase a lot because I think it's relatable because I, because people say that to me, They're like, why can't I figure it out? I've been working so hard. I'm trying so hard. I can't figure it out yet. And I was that I, something would be working and then I'd get tired of it and be like, Oh, why can't I figure it out? Or things wouldn't sell and I'd get frustrated. Anyway. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get a job. And that was at the beginning of 2019. Yeah, it was at the beginning of 2019. I was like, I think I'm just going to get a job. I started to look for other coaches who were doing their own thing and trying to like help them. I was like, maybe I can just work for them because they're, they've got it figured out. And it was a beautiful time. I met some amazing people. I had some just lovely conversations and partnerships. There were some moments where I'm like, this is going to be it. They're going to get their vision off the ground. And then I'm just going to like subcontract. (laughs) That's the answer is just help them get their stuff started so that I don't have to think about this anymore. And they'll just call me and say, I've got a new client. Can you go do it? You know, I thought about getting a job in a coaching school and I was like, ah, anyway, Fast forward to summer of 2019, I had written my resume. I was ready to you know, try writing a resume after being a coach for seven years. It's a fascinating experience. But again, check out Carrie Twig. She's amazing at resume writing. And I was like, actually, I can do all this stuff. It was a confidence booster. And then on a conversation with her, I said, here's my resume. What do you think? She's like, you don't need a job. You need to learn UMAP. I was like, what's UMAP? Well, UMAP is this really cool tool. You should check it out. Read the book. I read the book. There was a UMAP certification. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to invest in the certification. It's going to be my, this is my kind of last hurrah. I'm going to, maybe this is what I need. And that really marks the beginning of chapter five, which I think I'm still in. So, yeah. so let's get to that. But first, I, what's just come into my mind, Allegra, because I think it's something that we don't talk about that much. And um, we talk about this in as much detail as you want. But I guess I'm curious, you said near the start, you know, there was an interesting thing with your coaching business about you had the you had the little children around. And that was yeah. a big part of what you were doing. And then you mentioned some numbers of like, you know, you were playing with numbers and the prosperous coach approach. And it's like, you know, it's, it's probably worth saying to people who are listening that that sounds like a crazy thing to do but actually if you get in that space with those people it's it's it is a scary thing to do or at least it was for me sometimes but it's it, you know it's a really interesting thing and important practice right you're talking about practices and, and it's like yeah well, try saying ten thousand dollars or pounds to people just try it a couple of times like it's i, I i've never worked with a client who's paid me that much but the times when i've said ten thousand pounds plus they were cool times they're very important times because the whole thing changes once you said that. And, and for me, it changes, it changes when they don't laugh in your face. They just go, do you know what? I think I might do this. I'm going to go and think about that. And, uh, you know, one we could talk, oh. you know, Rich would coach me to say, I should have slowed that client right down at that point and said, oh, no, right? no, you okay. don't. But okay. I didn't. I was too busy going, yes, until they <laughs> obviously obviously disappeared off the face of the earth a few days later. But um, 
Allegra, can you just... That is such a good story right there. I hope you talk more about that because people don't get it. They don't yeah. get that where they're like, yes, they said yes. Yeah. And you want to talk about a practical thing when someone's like, what do you do when someone doesn't email you back? It's like, yeah, they didn't. <laughs> There's yeah. such, but that's what I'm talking about. In that particular, that period of landscape, post-prosperous coach kind of pre-whiteboard session UMAP, yeah, pre-whiteboard session was an amazing, very rich period of learning. I think because what Prosperous Coach did was it brought me back into conversation with real people. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. Well, what I was going to ask is over that period, like how successful was your coaching business and who were you working with? And <sighs> you said you got some clients in every couple of months. And yeah. was, that, was that what you needed? Because I think one of the things we sometimes have, especially in that community, right? One of the things it has is a lot of people who make a lot of money or at least seem to. And that's quite intimidating to be part of. And yes. a big, an important, really important moment in my journey was realizing I didn't need to do that just because other people were, right. right? How much money do I actually need and want? And therefore, what shall I charge people? And how do I want to do that? And, and that's an interesting place. And so I guess I'm curious, how was the kind of, how was the financial side of your business over that time? And, you know, did it do what you needed? Or was there a sense, because you haven't really mentioned that, or, or was there a sense that what drove you to change was that it wasn't doing financially what you needed? No, I, so I am in a position and have been able to, and I feel very lucky and privileged to have been in a position where my well-being and the well-being of my household was not dependent on me generating a particular level of income. So I was able to operate from a place that whatever I made was like a, um, was a, a, a very important contribution, but not what our livelihood depended on. So I was able to, um, you know, create, there was some of that freedom in, the, in a technical sense. Like I wasn't pressured to like, man, if I don't make this, we can't pay this bill or, but there was a very self-imposed pressure and I, I, there was a self-imposed like, yeah, but, but I need to prove myself, which never came from anyone else, by the way. Like my partner never put that on me. I put it on myself. And I think that's where a lot of the, I need to figure it out narrative came. Mm -hmm. Like if I just figured it out, then I think I did have this number in my head of like, then I would be making. What, what, what was the number? I don't know. <laughs> six. $200,000, I think. Yeah. I think at one point I was like, I think I even have a note that might be hidden now under all my other stuff of like $250,000. And I think I thought I, I, I was connected to that number because the, um, you know, for me to take over the financial responsibility of our part you know of our life it looked like that number in my brain but there was no punishment if I didn't reach it does that make sense it was it and I talked to some people who are like you know it's kind of nothing's bad's gonna happen if I don't create a client this month and I really want to acknowledge that that is not a position that everybody's in I love turning to the lessons of Rich Litvin around this though that if that's the case 
there, that puts an, a pressure and attention on the craft and the art of coaching that if it, you know, and he talks about money projects and sexy projects. And hmm. I love that distinction. And I can hear it now that especially when there's an urgency around money and an attachment to it, I can kind of be like there, it, there isn't going to be as much freedom to explore and play and try and fail. Um, if there is this piece that is required in some, you know, for someone's life to function in a way that's, you know, supportive of them. So yeah, like I have to, uh, what I'm, what I'm, like I have to qualify kind of my journey as having that piece to it financially where I had put on myself like, this idea that I should be making more money every year. And it did. I mean, if I went in and looked back, I'm, you know, I don't know how much I made my first year, a few thousand dollars, maybe 4,000. I don't know. And then I was starting to create clients and maybe there were a few years where I made 30,000 or 40,000. I'm still kind of like, you know, inish that space. I haven't broken a six figure mark, but I've also realized that I'm not very motivated by it. (laughs) I'm not motivated by it. It's, and I see it now as a result and not a, there's something about releasing it that makes it easier to show up. Hmm. You know, it's very three principles. Like, you know what, just let it, let it all happen. And it will all happen the way it's supposed to happen where the financial piece is a result of letting go and just having fun and trying things and not, um, yeah, it, that, that, that's a, a hard one to pin down because it can feel very internal, that awareness. You can explain that to someone. They're like, oh, I, you know, yeah. anyway, it, yeah. so, um, and I've experimented and played with different, you know, pricing of how I price things. I mean, I've had $10,000 partnerships. I've had, that's really, that was really um, my most kind of longest, most um, resonant, deepest partnerships. I felt like they were, you know, we're at that level. They were over a long period of time. I really, as a relator, I'm very invested in in the people that I work with. And I felt like at that level is when I am just all in on them and what they are and what they're working on. Um, and yeah, I'll never forget. I mean, I'll never forget for those coaches who are listening, like the moment where I said a larger number, it's a crazy moment. I, I remember that when I first said a thousand, a thousand, 1000 pounds and the woman, you know, I remember, I remember exactly who it was in this case, mm-hmm. didn't laugh in my face at a thousand pounds for four months of work. And that was like, she didn't do it, but she didn't laugh. And I was like, Whoa, something's different now. Right. Yeah. It's cool. It's a very fascinating moment. And that number is different for everybody. And that's something that I try and like teach now around pricing is that there is no, that it's a feeling we're looking for and not a digit. You know, I think there's a lot of pressure of like, okay, so when you start coaching, it should be a hundred dollars a session. But for some people practicing saying like, it's uncomfortable saying $5 a session. Yeah, I was so playing, I like, I was playing yeah. with a client last night who, and it was like, she just wants paying clients. It doesn't matter yeah. how, I asked her, how much, how much do they need to pay you to, for it to count? She was like, one pound. I was like, right. perfect. Let's, let's make that happen. Right. I love it. I, you and I are very much the same in that regard because I'm like, great practice saying 
it's $1 a session. Just practice saying that. And I guarantee you that in, after a few sessions, you're going to be like, this is worth more than a dollar. <laughs> okay, great. What do you want to say next? Well, maybe it's 10. Great. I talked about that, that you know, and that digit, mm. that is different for everybody. And I think that's so important to talk about there, this pressure to, I just got certified. So it's a hundred dollars a session now. Right. But there's, it, and that other person so much, over there is charging this or that or doing, you know, ah, it's you know, yeah. bonkers. It's crazy how mm. that, and I, I say all of this from a position of having been in it. When I say it's bonkers, I'm like, oh, I've, I've been through that bonkers land. Yeah. And, um, and I guess what I'm trying to do now is share those lessons particularly the stuff that I've learned through UMAP and the strength stuff, because that is stuff I could have known from the beginning that I think would have completely changed how I approached my work. And I think I would have maybe still gotten to the same point. it, It very well still could have taken the same time to get where I'm at now. I think it would have felt a heck of a lot better. I would have been a lot easier on myself. I would have had a greater understanding about how I like to work and so that's what became my, my, my motivation when I saw it for myself. I was like, everybody needs to know this. Yeah. And so, so, so bring us, bring us up to date then with, I, I've lost track of chapters, chapter five, I think. I know, I'm in chapter, chapter 17. All right. We are uh, in chapter so 17.4. Like, you've, you've discovered UMAP. It's ah. there. You've got this sense. Oh, this is the thing. So that was uh, about a year ago, I guess. We're yeah, in, just we're in autumn or ago. autumn 20. What's happened since then? Well, it's kind of, I mean, UMAP is essentially, UMAP, just so people know, is essentially just like a very well-designed self-assessment tool. It was designed by a woman named Kristen Sherry, who had been working in HR and in career development for many, many, many years. So she'd been administering all these, you know, there's these all these assessment tools you can take, particularly in like, in the, um, professional field or whatever, corporate field assessments about strengths and this and that. And so she was administering all these things and they were ending up in all these different places. But through that experience, she said, she kind of identified four really important ones that helped a person understand how they like to work. And those were strengths, knowing your strengths, knowing your values, knowing your skills your energizing skills and your burnout skills and your interests, like your personality-based interests. And then if you know those four things, that is essentially your UMAP. Your UMAP is essentially just those four things presented all in one spot. That if you can find a job that is in alignment with your UMAP, you're just going to have a lot more fun. That the more closely you can align to it, the more easy and joyful and pleasant life and work will be. So I was like, that sounds like a great idea. It connected with a lot of things that I liked about working with people and breaking big things down into small parts. And I said, I'm going to get certified in that and just learn how to do it. And so part of that was a strengths, you know, understanding strengths and values and skills. So I got certified in it. I had my own UMAP done. And then I started to do career coaching with people. And again, I just reached out. I'm like, I've learned this new thing. I ran it. I I picked a price that felt good to me. And then I raised it. And then I raised it again, kind of over time. 
And I ran it all through the fall with some amazing women doing some really cool stuff. And I loved it. And then in December, and I think I sent you this video in mm. December, I woke up one morning and I was like, I think every coach should have this because what happened was that I suddenly realized why I had not been a fit for all of these other business models that I had been trying to force myself into, particularly in that first couple of years of my practice when I was kind of indoctrinated with like, pick a niche, blah, 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 stick to the plan. I just always thought I was a bad fit for that, that I couldn't figure that, that messaging of like, shoot, I have a new idea. And why can't I figure this out? Well, I know now why. And I wish I had known from the beginning that I'm an ideator and an activator. I, 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 I'm always coming up like the idea of me sticking to a plan for the next, you know, <laughs> forever, picking a niche for forever. I'm like, I don't know. I might have a new idea next month. I can get things started very easily, right? I can, if I wake up tomorrow and I'm like, I want to go on a walk and listen to people. By tomorrow night, I'll have a web page up, listening walks. Let's go. And I'll be inviting people because I just have that energy. I, I also have adaptability in my top strengths. I'm very easygoing. I'm very just like, oh, whatever. I'm going to try this. I'm kind of more of a wanderer than a stick to the plan for the next five years, you know, do this stuff. I value creativity and curiosity and adventure. And I just don't think those are values of like the message that's very predominant early on in the coaching space. So I just was like, I want every coach to know this. Cause if I had known this stuff about myself eight years ago, I think I just would have made different decisions about where I invested my time and where I invested my money and the judgment that I put on myself for not being able to, you know, <laughs> work within the model that was presented to me, it's because it wasn't the right fit for who I am. And that kind of started what evolved into this past year and the work I'm doing, I'm still doing now around helping coaches learn those things about themselves as early as possible. And trusting that they have all these gifts coming into their work before they become a coach, right? That becoming a coach doesn't erase all of these other cool gifts that you've got. Yeah. Opening up the conversation like you and I are having about what coaching is. Yeah. You know? Maybe that's the place to go now. You know, I love that, that stuff you said earlier on about the, the label of being a coach and also the language in the coaching industry. Uh, and I'm, you know, I've just noted that down because it's a, it's great to come back to that. And maybe yeah. now's the time to do that. Like, tell tell us more about about that, about how the language of being a coach holds us back, and how the language in the industry isn't, you know, uh, I guess, isn't as constructive or useful as it could be. Yeah, I just see it in um, like a phrase as simple as. I need to get my coaching practice off the ground. That is a common phrase. I haven't gotten my coaching off the ground yet. I need to start my coaching practice. That's where I just love to pause. I'm like, what do we mean by that? What is a coaching practice? Like just that phrase alone. Like if you woke up tomorrow, common code, if you woke up tomorrow and you had a coaching practice, what would you see? I don't know. And all of a sudden, there's this awareness that we are 
binding ourselves to a vocabulary that has no meaning for us. Mm. Saying things like, and I'm guilty of this, of like, um, I need to get my message out into the world. And I'm like, that's a, that's a tall order. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very tall order. Like get our message out into the, and I'll say that sometimes like release your, you know, share your gifts with the world. And then I catch myself. I'm like, what am I really encouraging people to do here? Like that is a massive amorphous infinite thing we're talking about that becomes so much more fun when we say, I would like to share this idea with that one person. And it, it just grounds it. It just takes the fear out of it somehow. Um, I think niching is a huge one. Yeah. Niche is huge. It is caustic in many regards. Again, not for everybody. Some people get here niche from day one and they're like, I know exactly who and what, but I, my thoughts on niching credit to Tad Hargrave, who's been talking about this work for a very long time. Um, who has been one of my coaches, who's just really given me so much to think about. Niching is deeply multi-layered and complex. And, you know, when I, my experience of niche is like, when I learned niche, when I was studying environmental science, it's like the niche of a bird has nothing to do with the fish. The niche of a bird is of the bird. It's the nest they build. It's the materials they use. It's the food they eat. It's when they sleep. It's when they wake up. It's the sounds they make. It has nothing. A bird isn't thinking about what that snake is going to think about what it's doing. And yet somehow in coaching, the idea of niche is just like, well, who do you want to help? It's just out there. And so I'm really trying to break that apart. And I say things like who you are is as much a part of your niche as who you want to help and how you work. Um, and so, you know, I know that you have the program, right? The Niche and Compass, or you have run that this year, at least a, a few times. Yeah. Like, what do you, how do you support? So, so you know, and it may be that the this is useful through the listener here, right? Who has been indoctrinate, indoctrinated, who's listened to this with the idea they have to have a niche. Right. You know, without telling everything that's in your program, of course. But like, what's the, where, where do they start? Like, what's the right uh, speech marks, right way? Um, to uh, to approach that problem that isn't right. defined that you want to work with uh, right-handed, bald people who... Uh, who want to open like, a food truck. Yeah, exactly. I say retired volleyball players who want to open a food truck. That's nice. the example I tend to go to. Yeah. Um, okay, so the you said at the indoctrination, I find when coaches end up joining my things, I find there's a period of kind of deprogramming that happens. It's like they've come out of the matrix, been on. Right. Exactly. That's exactly it. And I'm just like, we're going to look at things a different way. I know, but what about my Facebook ads? And I'm just like, I know I get it, but let's still, cause that's really interesting. That's still really, you're really still encountering that Facebook ads thing. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. The people that by the time they get to me, it just, I'm just aware of this now. I don't usually get asked that stuff. That's really, and that's just interesting that, that for me, I wasn't necessarily aware that stuff was still really pervasive, but it dep- you know what? It depends on what, how far along the journey they are. Like when I think uh, about myself yeah, yeah, back in 2012 fall joining B school, 
that was definitely, I was very much like, oh no, I have to do these things. I have to pick my branding colors. I got to do my branding colors. And like, I don't know if I would have been, that's the thing. It's, I don't know if I would have been open to a different perspective on it because I was so convinced that that's the way. I think that's why I like reaching coaches kind of almost this woman posted in a Facebook group. She's like, I was just certified as a coach. Where do I start in building my business? I literally wanted to just like find her and just be like, just, and I, it really forced me to think what is the suggestions I have. The first one is, and this is where the Nishin Compass started. So the Nishin Compass was this very a small group program that I started running in February with the UMAP is the heart of it. I was like, I want every coach to have their UMAP. So I created a, a small group program called the Nation Compass. The first half was pretty much just leading coaches through their UMAP. Because I was like, we need to kind of figure out who you are. Because if you're at the center of your coaching, but you don't have language to describe it, then it, I want people to see what their gifts are separate from their work as a coach. Separate from all of it. Just what are your gifts? What are your strengths? What are your values? What are your skills? Because I see now that if you don't know what those things are, you're kind of just like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. And if you're lucky, you end up on a path that happens to be aligned to how you work. You're just not aware that that's why it's working. But the reason why it oftentimes doesn't work is because you're like a square peg trying to fit in a round hole, but you're not aware that you're a square peg. You just think, why can't I fit into this round hole? It's like, let's, let's figure out your shape first. Mm. All these cool things about how you like to work before you go out and invest $10,000 in like a business strategy that may or may not be a good fit for who you are, but why don't, let's, let's do that first. From there, so I consider that that's like the coach part. And then I like to ask, okay, so knowing these things about yourself, how do those inform your coaching? How do your values inform who your ideal clients are going to be? How do your strengths inform how you describe who you are as a coach? How do your interests and your personality inform what kind of experiences you want to create for your clients? I try and use the word experiences now instead of coaching offers. Because I think experience is just so much more fun. Coach and Dine was an experience that brought together my love of coaching with a certain kind of person, with a certain, with food. I was like, I'm just going to take all these things I love and put them together and invite people to do this experience with me. And that's what I've, I've realized now, as I look back on my coaching journey, that I just was really good at creating projects. Well, it's like you've been talking about it the whole conversation, right? It's one of your strengths. You're, you're, you're talking about exactly what you're talking about guiding coaches through. It's yep. how do I build my business and, you know, speak, you know, and it, or create the experience that I want to have doing mm. the things that I love using my strengths. And it's like, it won't be exactly like what you've described for everyone. It'll be really yeah. different, but it's, yeah, you are absolutely using the adventurer and the creator and all those things. That's right. I mean, one of the things that I say, this is, you know, of the, one of the things I say is who you are is as much a part of your niche as who you want to help and how you do your work. Another thing I say is there is no one right way, but there is a right way for you. And that is just a tenant that I hold very dearly, even in my work now, where it's like, I work with lots of coaches and I don't pretend to have any answer about what the right fit is for any one of those people. 
I don't, the one thing that I do hold to right now is like, we're going to start with your UMAP because you need to see, if you don't see who you are, you cannot advocate for it as you build your work. You can't know, have a greater chance of knowing what business model might be a good fit. You, I just didn't see those things about myself. And at any time now, someone's like, where do I begin? I want to be like, you need to uncover whether with me, whether in a UMAP, spend some time getting really clear on what you are already good at, on what your strengths are, on what your values are, what interests you, what lights you up, what do you love to do, what is your lifestyle? I mean, it's a very simple example, but it's like, if you sign up, if you're a night owl, And you sign up for a coaching program that says, all right, now you need to have your sessions at 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. and 12 p.m. in order to be successful. Years ago, okay, I guess I better become, I guess I got to start waking up. But what, why not create a coach at midnight program? (laughs) How fun would that be? That's the kind of stuff that lights me up is when someone's like, well, you know what? I really, I'm not a, I'll never forget working with a coach who has a lot of influencing strengths, you know, lots of influencing strengths. Her favorite coaching sessions were spontaneous. They were not scheduled because her lifestyle didn't have a firm schedule to it. The last thing she wanted to do was meet up with the same person every Wednesday at two. She's like, I don't know where I'm going to be next Wednesday. Spontaneous. And they lasted about 15 minutes (laughs) where they would call her and she would, as an influencer, you can work through people. You can motivate them. You can get someone in action quickly. She's like, man, after 15 minutes, that person was unstuck and ready to go do their thing. And that's great. Bye. But she had been told that that's not how you do it. She had been told, no, to be a coach, you have to have sessions every week for 60 minutes. You know, yeah, I think like victim creator is a good is a good distinction here, Um, because like there's a sense that what happens is coaches become a victim of their training sometimes, but also Uh of the. like the uh like like you said that the, I have to do the Facebook ads thing but there's also this thing which is like then coaches sometimes discover something like the prosperous coach and then they become like and uh, to a certain extent this is where I got to like you become a victim of a, of that approach too it's just it's just happening to you that's the only way to do it and what you're talking about here and of course you're talking about it because you've got that amazing creative streak is well we can just create this yeah like it it, it's one stuff. of the it's one of the absolute privileges of working in this industry that you can just make stuff up it's really it's really you know i i love that and sometimes this voice comes in i'm like no there is a right way to coach and complete respect to the the founders of this field and to the years of study I, that tool I have a reverence for and I study it and I read it and I have a library of books around the art of coaching that never stops. It's the container within which we bring that and the, and it's the allowing that we can be a part of that relationship with a person. That's the part that I really am trying to champion and celebrate that Coaching exists in a moment between two people. And I understand the idea, the approach that as coaches, we should empty ourselves, right? I think I've heard that, right? Come in empty. 
And I guess we could, we could talk about that. I'd be curious your thoughts. Like, but I, I think I'm more like coming with who you are. (laughs) I, I, I understand the idea of being empty of being neutral, of being, of it being client driven, of that I don't have the answers, you have the answers. I have a deep respect for that. And I also know, and that as long as I am holding that my coaching partnership is about the growth of the person across from me, it's not about my agenda, it's about them that it's okay for my ideator to show up in service of them and to say, let's brainstorm. I might have an idea that actually triggers your idea. And I'm always, I qualify this all the time. I'll say, I'm going to put something on the table. You do not have to pick it up. I'm so, I reinforce that all the time because I don't ever want to drift into, I've got the answer, right? That's definitely... (laughs) But sometimes I'll say something, I'll let one of my strengths shine, my ideator come through with something and put it on the table, and that'll change everything. Not because it came from me, but because it was in them already, They right? They just needed to see that little moment. Kind of like John Morgan was like, why don't you just go talk in this class? And I was like, yeah, yeah I am going to do that. The and only like, who's to say where it, who's to say where it came from anyway, right? Who's to say that exactly. it, it wouldn't have it, it would have come to you by yourself if you'd just been reading a page, right, of, of what right. the person was saying? Who's to say the idea didn't show up in you at that moment because of the conversation and right? Them and, and yeah. So I think that's it's an it, as a as a practitioner that has been lately an idea that I've been mulling is mm. am I. I like to say I'm kind of championing uh, this approach to coaching of be you in your work, that the more you you are, the greater service you're going to be to the person across the table from you because the work happens in partnership with you. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes your greatest role is to simply be silent for 45 minutes and not say anything. And that's part of my practice is recognizing when my natural ability to come out with like ideas or activating things is not what the client needs. They need me to just shut up for 30 minutes and just give them the space to just talk, to be the lamppost. <laughs> and that's, I love, you know, this next, the next thing that I'm kind of playing with and developing is like all the different hats that a coach can wear. <laughs> that, or I call it, or like, I, or I think of them too as like sails on the ship. And we don't have to have them all up. I don't have to be an ideator all the time. But I also don't want to pretend that I don't have that sail that I could unfurl if it would get our boat a little bit closer to where you want to go. Um, And I just think it's cool to know that going into a discovery call with somebody. To be able to say when they're like, so what kind of coach are you? I can say, well, I I bring this and I do this. I'm very adaptable and I can share ideas, but I can also hold space. And, you know, I'm, I'm coaching you, not your project. Like, all this language that I now have that I don't think I had before I saw it for myself. Um, And so I'm trying to give new coaches that language as early as possible while also recognizing that there's a lot they're going to have to learn just by doing it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's something about, so here's, here's the thing that's been in my mind a couple of times during this conversation 
So I think this is an idea that essentially comes from adult psychological development. And I don't know if you know anything about that, but um, mm -hmm. essentially there's, uh, I think this comes from Robert Keegan. He's a guy at Harvard or somewhere, um, a developmental psychologist, that two of the levels of psychological development that we can go, that humans go through. One is when we're really concerned essentially with how to be a good, a good whatever, a good citizen. Uh -huh. And then at some point, the level of complexity of the world is too great for that because how do you be a good mum and a good uh, worker and a good um, yeah. person in the in the world and all these kind of different roles and then actually what we have to do is define good for ourselves not yeah. according to the rules of what society says a mum or a dad or a worker or a boss should do but in terms of the stuff that you're talking about and actually it may be Oh, this is interesting. It, it, you know, I, I don't think this is true. I was going to say it may be that when those first training programs for or that, that first story about coaching was designed, that the world was simpler. I think it was simpler, but I think it, we were already out of date then. And what it sounds like you're doing is, look, when coaches get out into the world, one size is not going to fit all for how they grow their businesses for, for one coach across their career, let alone for 30 coaches going through a a thing at once and yeah. the only thing we can do at that point is really know ourselves and then because that'll be how we res can respond skillfully to to the different challenges that come up as as you say we practice and try things out across across years of our work yes and I think that's that's why when I created the niching compass at the center of the compass is you mm. I mean I had these this video where I drew it out on my whiteboard I'm like okay here's all the things you're going to be told you need to know for your coaching at the bottom is what you do this is your modality uh, you know over here is who you help they're going to call this your niche okay over here is how you work this is the experience you create are you going to do you know what is it that what's the container? And then there's your why, which is going to change as your life goes on, because my why now is to serve coaches. My why in 2012 was to serve people moving. Who knows what my why is going to be in a few years? Might change. That's part yeah, of the... It, it sounds like, Allegra, it probably will. Like, I don't, I, I wanted to ask oh. this, because like, it, it sounds like you said before coaching, you'd been kind of doing a, a two-year, three-year cycle. Oh. It sounds like during coaching, you, you know, that person, Tori, or whoever it was who you had that conversation with, was right. To a certain extent, you've been two year, three year, two year switches, right? Chapters. No, I know, but I, but I've, but I've learned that that's. But I think what I'm seeing now is that that's not a problem, and that I thought it was a problem. I thought it was a problem that I had new ideas, and I'm also a maximizer. Maximizers, yeah, me too. They, they kind of never finish. Are you a maximizer? Yeah, yeah. They never finish. It's always kind of like, okay, I'm done, and then it's like, well, now what are we gonna do? And that shows up in my clients. I mean, it's it's great. You know what my number 34 is? Go on. Achiever. Is it? Interesting. <laughs> Finding that out was a great day. <laughs> so for people who are listening who don't know, so Achiever used to be, it was the first time I did Strengths Finder was in my top five. And then it dropped oh. down to the, to, thankfully for me, I think for my well-being and livelihood, I'm glad <laughs> to see it disappear from that top five the second right. time I did it. It, it. it was still top 10. But for people who don't know Clifton Strengths, I mean, for people who don't know it, I really recommend it. It's, it's pretty much the only... It's fun. It's, it's pretty, pretty much the amazing. only test that I send to people um, yeah. ever. 
um, certainly in my private business, um, unless there's you know a company I'm working with who, who uses something different. It's really useful and, and cool in a bunch of ways. Yeah. Um, I, uh, my, me and my wife, after we'd organized our wedding and fought like hell about it, um, hey. we, we had a strengths finder based insight, which showed us how, why we were doing that, right? Which is that I have maximizer slap bang at the top. So when we're doing seating plan, I want to like sit down <laughs> and like work out who's sitting. And it's joyful for me to go, it's yeah, so easy. Greg can become friends with Fiona. This is going to be amazing. Um, but Emma's like, can we just get on with this? What is yeah. wrong with you, you imbecile? Because it's way down yes. the list on her. Anyway. What I tell- love it. <laughs> I find it so, my husband just took the test nice. and I'm like, oh, I'm more into the results than he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, it's, but I'm like, yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. And, but here's the thing about it. And I, I, I you know, I keep talking about you. UMAP is an assessment that I use. Every coach who comes into my membership now, that's where they start. Um, and then the Niching Compass is now a, a course in the membership because it's it's all kind of like layering on top of it. It's like it started with UMAP and then it was the Niching Compass and now it's uh, Miss It to Matter. And um, people can go out and take the assessment. Some of your listeners are probably like, what's this strength finder thing? And they're going to go take the test. Maybe they'll look up UMAP and that's great. It is it is like every other tool book out there. You can take that test and read your results and set that on the side of your table and never think about it again. Or you can sit with it and use it and marinate in it. That's a word that I use. Or find a coach who will sit with you over a course of a period of time and really look at and consider what it means, these insights about who you are, you know, because it's like any other assessment tool. And I think people take a lot of assessments as like, cool, oh, I got this result. And it's like, it's like dipping a piece of food in a marinade and then taking it out and wondering why the flavor didn't stick. It takes time and a willingness to just sit with what if these are mice and the insight guide that comes with it, right? That's another thing that happens is people see their top five and they're like, Oh, I'm a relator, but it's the the beauty of it is not just in the name of the strength. It's in the, that insight guide that sometimes doesn't even say that word. And so I just want to put that out there as a little bit of a a note that for anyone who's like, Oh, I'm going to take it. Don't just take it and read it once. Like, print it and underline it and talk to someone about it and tell somebody else about it. Especially I'm always fascinated when someone sees their results and they're like, Oh, I don't like it. That's a great coaching moment. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's interesting actually, that's just gives me a chance to loop back to something I thought before, you know, when we're talking first talking about strengths and strengths that we don't necessarily think are, the right strengths for us, or we don't like our results. So when I redid mine, it was interesting. Input came up in my top five. Ah. So like the way the description, so in in Clifton Strengths, there are kind of two descriptions. There's a static description, and then there's a like one based on me, exactly me input. But even in that one, it had this thing at the top, like input people, we like to collect things, right? Right. And the example it gives are something like stamps or baseball cards. (laughs) And I was like, 
well, what the hell does that have to do with coaching? And how useless is that? And um, I don't even like to collect things really. Like that's not what I'm like. And then suddenly I'm sitting there with a client and I'm sharing an idea that has just appeared in my mind. It's like, oh, right. I collect ideas and frameworks and insights. And what I like to do with them is collect them and then just like drop them in. And yes, it, it sounds it. like a weird uh, stamp collecting strength, but it's like all of those things, they, you know, they, if we want them to be, those things can be part of how we do our work. A hundred percent. Sometimes I'll work with coaches who have like a thinking trifecta of input, intellection, and, um, oh shoot, I had it in my mind and it's just slipped out. Oh, shoot. I was sitting here thinking that third one. But they essentially have a ton of thinking strengths in their top five. And that's always an interesting moment. Like, it's really, I like opening up that creativity. I'm like, how is that a benefit to you and your work? And sometimes you don't see it until until you have awareness of it. It's kind of like when you're told, and I come back to my baking metaphor with this. It's like when you are told that there is cinnamon in the cookie. And you're like, no, there's not. There's no cinnamon in this cookie. And then every time you eat the cookie after that, you start to notice the cinnamon. It's the same with strengths and their application for coaches when they're just like, how is this even helpful for me that I'm uh, whatever? And then if this is what I mean by the marinating in it, a month down the line, two months down the line, oh, I just saw where that just happened because you can't see the label when you're inside the jar. And even when you're told what's on the label, you're like, no, that's not in there. I don't have input. What do you mean input? And then when you kind of, when you're just open to it, another metaphor I like is like, uh, have you ever seen contact with Jodie Foster? No. Okay. So it's about this young girl who's obsessed with space. And as an adult, she just goes to these satellite dishes in the middle of the desert, just waiting and listening for signs of life out in the universe and listening for noises. And, you know, they program those satellite dishes to try and capture particular wavelengths or, and I'm just like, okay, she's programming. So I'll say to someone, I'll say, I know you don't see it yet, but program it into your satellite dish and just, just hold it there. Just create space to be, to notice when it shows up because I pro- it's going to show up and it always does weeks pass. Oh, I see now where that strength shows up. One last thing about strengths, just because I find it interesting. Sometimes our top strengths are things we were criticized for when we were younger. So there can be a resistance to that too. Mm. You know, like someone has command as a top strength. And they'll say, I don't want to have command because I was always told I was too bossy and I can't be bossy. And that's a very deep learning moment where it's like, it's because you don't have to think about it. You just know how to lead people. (laughs) Anyway, I love it. That's so fun that we're both, we're both captivated by that tool. Yeah. And I think in in some ways for similar reasons, but maybe that's the, maybe that's the kind of next question. So it's like this, this stuff, you, you take coaches through some of these things now that's part that's this phase of your work and maybe it'll be a long phase maybe it'll be a a two three four years and then some other brilliant idea will will come up but why is it so important to you to be supporting coaches in particular with this in particular I think I think 
because I, it, when I had this idea that every coach should have their UMAP, it really was followed by, I wish I had known this. Mm-hmm. I think it's because I feel bad for how I talked to myself in some ways, even with success, even with creating clients. Like, it's not that, that from the outside, I haven't, you know, if you want to measure for some years would be a little bit better than others or is that there was always this like sense that I wasn't doing it right. That I wasn't able to figure it out. Even after prosperous coach, I still never felt like I figured it out. That model, it helped. It was a huge relief. It continues to inform how I encourage people today to just talk to people, (laughs) to be like, you need to build your website. So what? So you can talk to people. Let's just go talk to people. Like I love always bringing it back to conversation, but there was just this thing that like, you know, the best illustration of it is when I would wake up in the morning and be like, shoot, I have a new idea. And I feel bad for those ideas now. Like how sad that like a new idea popped into my brain and I was like, darn it. But now I'm like, Oh no, that's exactly what I do. Mm. And I know that other coaches are out there doing that about their natural gifts. Oh, I don't, I, I, I don't want to, you know, there, there's this like inner resistance or a, a kind of a, a guilt. I don't want to say a shame. Although I hear that word sometimes like, I, and it's captured by this, like, I just, why can't I figure it out? I just paid $10,000 for this five-step system. Why are I not, why isn't it working? Um, or a kind of like, so the name, so, so the niching compass then became what is now the project I'm doing now, which is a membership space. So I, I adopted a completely different business model, <laughs> part of the adventure. Um, I went from doing very small, high touch, higher priced offerings to making it more accessible financially, but I'm still very committed to providing like a high value, high touch experience. It's a very grand experiment for me. And, um, you know, it's the name of it is Misfit to Maverick because That was, I think, how I just always felt is I had an idea of what coaching looked like, whether it was the online business model, the prosperous coach model. I need to be or even like people in a suit. I don't know. Like what? I don't know. Like I got to be in a suit Um, because, like you said, in the prosperous coach model, that can be it's great, but people are making like that is big stuff. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to be charging twenty five thousand dollars is the next step for me, and this is what I need to be doing. And I just, even then I was like, I feel kind of misfitty. Something's not quite right. And I guess I'm trying now to reach those people. And some of them are very, very early in the journey. Some of them have been kind of pulled into that coaching industrial complex and are feeling like something's not right. Um, It's not for everybody. The way I do my work we're all not for everybody. Thank goodness for that. Uh, but I find that when I'm willing to share my perspective and point of view, it helps some people. And those people want 
to be around someone and have someone on their team who understands that because I've been there. <laughs> I've been on the journey. And so when you ask like, what's different, it's like, I just, I'm like, I want to tell them what I wish I had known. And these are things, at least with the start of UMAP, I wish I had known these things about myself when I began. Um, I never think it's too late. If I meet a coach who doesn't have it, I'm like, you should get this with me, someone else at the very least get your strengths. I mean, it sounds like you're, you totally get that too. Um, because when you know how you like to work and you accept how you like to work, when you know you're an ideator, you don't feel bad when you have a new idea in the morning. You just, you're like, oh yeah, that's me coming out. Mm. You know, when you know you're adaptable, then you, you have patience for yourself when, when you kind of just go with the flow and, you know, I'm, I, when you know achievers at the bottom, you don't feel so <laughs> bad about not sticking to a business plan for three years. Yeah. Right. Just, yeah. We didn't say that. Did we? Achiever is like, stick it out to the end, do the yeah, exact thing. Yeah. I definitely have a bit of that. Definitely. But uh, It's great. And I, and you know, I like working with achievers because it's, because I, but I know that now because some achievers want another achiever on their team. Right. They want someone who's going to be like, we're going to do it, get it done, get it done. I'm adaptable. I'm like, it's fine if you don't want to get it done. Let's what? Okay. Some (laughs) achievers want that. They want that foil. But what's so cool is that now that I know that about myself, I can speak it out loud, have a greater chance of finding the right people for me, feel more confident that I'm not the right fit for everybody. And man, that one alone in the, the beginning of coaching is like, but I can coach everybody. Yeah. Like, yeah, but do you want to? Do you, <laughs> do, you, do you really want to? Let's really dig into it. That's another one of those language things. It's like figuring out the best fit. So anyway, that's kind of my inspiration mm. is looking for and supporting those coaches who feel like they want to do things in a different way, but they haven't been given permission and saying, well, why not? Let's come over here and hang out with us where we're, trying to operate from our strengths and our gifts and our values and my lifestyle and your life, like all the things and create really cool coaching experiences, which I didn't realize at the time, but I'm really good at doing and get more playful and have more fun. And my hypothesis is that we're all going to get to the same point at the end of the day. Anyway, why not have a better time along the way? (laughs) Yeah, right. Absolutely. You know, be more you. It's life is just more fun that way. Yeah, I like that. Feels in some ways like a beautiful place to kind of draw the conversation to a close. I feel like mm-hmm. we could have gone on, maybe you know, maybe another time. We should go on for another couple yeah, of hours. Like, but talk all the time. But uh, like- <laughs> <laughs> but like so, but for people who are curious, like they can they can find Misfit to Maverick. You know, we'll put links. Sorry, I should <laughs> say we'll put links to that. We'll put links to other things we've spoken about in the. um in the show notes at thecoachesjourney.com. Um, people should also check out your podcast. Um, yeah. Uh, like I was saying before we got on air, sometimes people uh, email me and about this podcast and they say, do you know, Robbie, could, can't you just make it a bit shorter? And I'm oh, like, no. no, I make exactly what I like. And I like sprawling <laughs> conversations about stuff it. which can go anywhere. But for those people who are listening to this, who have made it two hours into this call, sometimes Allegra's podcast is really short. So if you just want a, a little like uh, espresso of coaching Thank wisdom, you. definitely check that out. Yeah, the podcast is good. That's a perfect example, by the way, of like how to about change and evolution is I've had that podcast for, I don't know how long. Maybe I tried recording my first one in 2015. 
the name of the podcast has changed. The way I create the podcast has changed. You know, it's a good little kind of a, a benchmark of what evolution looks like. I mean, for a long time in my podcast, I was just talking about coaching tools that I liked. Um, then I would take a break, I would leave it, and then I would come back to it and like revive it and try something new. And now, and every time I change the name, so now the name of the podcast is The Niching Compass. And I just am sharing my point of view on coaching. I'm just sharing ideas like this. I try and keep them super quick and simple. Um, I have free classes. Like I'm a big believer that like there's a lot of, there's so much you can offer as a coach that has nothing to do with whether someone pays you or not. It's a big, this podcast you do is a gift to people who may never hire you, but it's a beautiful thing. I call this, I call this the free museum. This is Seth Godin. We're going to circle back all the way. Yeah. Seth Godin says that what people pay us for is the souvenir of the free museum we put out into the world. I love it. It's been a mind bender for me. That's another idea I'm trying to teach really early because new coaches are like the offer, the offer, getting paid, getting paid. I'm like, there's so much more fun you can be doing with this new tool you've got, right? <laughs> you could go give ba- you know, the baker, just go make cookies and give them out on the corner. But so I'm also trying to help coaches kind of zoom out from this stress of like creating clients. It's like, why not just enjoy this cool new thing you've got? But anyway, that free museum, that is something I'm talking about a lot. I'm teaching about it a lot. That's what you're doing here. This podcast you do is a gift to people, you know, and, and I try and do that too. I have my podcast. I do free classes just because I like it. I mm-hmm. like doing that. Um, because my hope is, is that it'll help one person. And if, if at the end of it, they want the souvenir, that's great, but it's absolutely fine. <laughs> they just walk back out and go to the next free museum. Um, so I, 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 I like sharing that idea for any coach listening is yeah. what can you share that has nothing to do with whether, you know, you create a client just because you want to help people. It's, it's really, it's really lovely. Yeah. And, and yeah, we know, like if you do that, and especially if you do that without tr- it being about trying to create a client, then that free museum is definitely a dot in the create client uh, it's, picture, isn't it? It's so, it feels very counterintuitive. Yeah. Trusting that is a huge shift because, again, I think because from the beginning, it's like, if you just do these things, you will create a client. So everything becomes about creating the client. And I'm kind of in this space and I'm like, why don't you just do it just to do it? And by the way, like that natural, just that will lead to it. That's the whole idea is like, you're still going to get to the same green light at the end of the, at the end of the highway. It's just a question of whether you're going to try and like zip through all the other cars and like, just think about the light and all the things, or you're just going to enjoy the ride and pull off for a coffee I guarantee five miles down the road, you will both still be ending up at the same green line. <laughs> that person's just going to be really stressed and wondering why they're doing it. And you're just going to be like, I'm having a great time. And, yeah, and absolutely. And wouldn't it be great if, if everyone was just having a great time the whole just time? Just having a good time. Making coaching <laughs> fun again. Maybe that's maybe that's one of my new mottos. Yeah, that can be the name <laughs> of the next the next business or the next thing. Oh, don't give me. No, I can't have it now. <laughs> Allegra, it's been such a pleasure to have this conversation. Um, thanks so much for your time and for all the work you're doing. And yeah, for making like this conversation super fun. Like that's been oh, a part yeah. of it too. 
I hope so. I feel like I did a lot of talking, but yeah, well, that's what we're here to do. And so, yeah, thanks very much. And yeah, maybe see you again at some point on the podcast in the future. I would love that anytime. Hello, Robbie here again. Um, You've made it to the end of this podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Allegra as much as I did, both the first time and listening back to it um, just now before we're releasing it. Um, And you've made it all the way to the end. Um, You obviously like something about what I'm doing here um, uh, in this podcast and perhaps more generally. So I wanted to let you know about a couple of ways to support the podcast, but also one of the other things that I'm working on. So you can now become a supporter of the Coach's Journey podcast if you like what I'm doing um, and you want to make sure that it continues, that we maybe get more episodes at some point and that it reaches more coaches out in the world, then you can become a supporter uh, and pay anything from, I think, £5 a month. Uh, And if you go to patreon.com forward slash the Coach's Journey, you can find out more there or there's a support button at thecoachesjourney.com. And the second is that um, since Since late last year, I've been running the Coach's Journey community, which is an incredibly affordable and flexible way to work with me. Um, You can, uh, membership of the community starts from as little as about £10 a month. Um, There are calls, uh, 10 calls a year, 10 group calls, if you want to become a full member and and a chance to do some one-on-one work with me too. Um, That that costs more, about £100 a month to be a full member and and there's an intermediate space too. Check it out. There's loads of details at thecoachesjourney.com slash community. Um, We've got into all kinds of things so far from really detailed business planning about how do we break down the year and and where we want to be by the end of it and how many clients that means and and how much therefore I want to charge, that kind of thing. We've also spoken about... uh, you know, the stories we tell ourselves about um, about uh, our testimonials and about coaching as a whole. And we've done some deep work in these calls too. So um, you might be curious. Uh, the next call is at the end of February. Um, uh, but the timetable for the next few calls, if you're listening later on than that, is at thecoachesjourney.com slash community down the bottom of the page. Um, and you sign up via the Patreon page too. So um, yeah, again, thanks for listening. Um, hope to maybe see you on one of the Coaches Journey community calls soon. And other than that, have a wonderful rest of the day. Mm-hmm.